on some barbecue. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 73 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're new, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. So why not give me a follow? Reach out to me there. Uh, and when I say there, I, of course, mean Twitter. That's where you can find me at Sir Dr. JM. And reach out to me there. Hit me up with questions, comments, concerns, topics, reviews, whatever you've got for the show. I would love to. Uh, uh, bring it to the show if you've got questions about Overwatch, the Overwatch League, Overwatch 2, anything like that. Topics to talk about, even video game related outside of the world of Overwatch, Blizzard, anything like that. I love video games. I love to talk about them. So bring it to me, especially on Twitter. Shoot me a DM or tweet at me there, and I'm happy to bring it to the show. Enough with all that, though. We've got a big show to cover. So let's jump back in there. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz, you know. And of course, I also encourage you to check me out every Wednesday over on Ready, Set, Pwn, uh, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant. Now, on today's episode, the Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 2 is officially out. We've got our first Hashtag Owl 2022 tournament skin, and the Boston Uprising are making some moves. Let's dive on in. Fire in the hole! All right, so as I mentioned there, the first thing we've got to talk about this week is, of course, Blizzard officially announcing the Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 2 event. Now, this, of course, lasts from May 17th to June 7th, 2022. So at this point, it's been out for, uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, a few days, uh, three, three, no, about a week, I should say, not a few days. What am I talking about? Um, so this came out just after I recorded the previous episode of One Man Watchpoint. Um, so when you were listening to last week's episode, obviously, I would not have necessarily known the exact dates. I think they announced the dates, but I didn't have all the details. So I wouldn't have had the details, but I've got them here. So let's go over it. So if we look at the playoverwatch.com website, it, of course, reads, Join the party. It's time to pump up the volume. The sixth anniversary of Overwatch has arrived. Here's to six years of steadfast, payload-pushing, jaw-dropping, trick shots, tenacious teamwork, and a community filled with unmatched passion. They've then got a whole bunch of stuff here that they describe of just, you know, briefing you on this event. Now, if we look at the breakdown of these, this is, of course, the new uh, style of anniversary event that they're doing. Does not follow uh, the traditional... Um, special event cycle that they had done in previous years. Um, but for these ones, they, of course, are cycling through a whole bunch of previous uh, special or seasonal events um, by day and giving us a sort of something new each day. So May 23rd, that is today as of recording, uh, obviously recording a little before we post. So today is the Overwatch Halloween Terror event. They've, of course, got the Vengeful Ghost, the Volatile Zomnix, the Mystery Swap, the Frenzied Stampede, the... Oh, I lost my spot. I lost my spot. I opened the page a little bit more. There we go. The Shocking Surprise, the three they were, and I think that's all of them. So let's jump on over to a day that's more relevant, like May 25th. So at the time you are, of course, listening to this, on May 25th, we will be looking at having a bunch of Capture the Flag, it looks like. So we've got Capture the Flag, we've got Capture the Flag Blitz, and Bounty Hunter. And of course, these are all themed after the uh, Year of the Tiger. So those will be your events for the 25th. If we look at the 26th, we jump over to the Overwatch Archives. The 27th, oh, oh, where'd it go, where'd it go? Where to go? Oh, website not quite working. It doesn't want to load the 27th for me. That's interesting. 
Okay, well, something funky going on with the website, but we'll we'll just pretend that that's not happening. You got a different event every week. We've got some Junkenstein's Revenge. We've got some Winter Wonderland. We've got Year of the Tiger. We've got Archives. We've got, what else do we got? What else do we got here? Uh, there's more Winter Wonderland. Yeah, okay, this website really doesn't want to work for me right now. So I digress. Cycling through the different previous seasonal and uh, special events that we've had before uh, by day. And of course, you do get the bonus modes sometimes as well, um, where they throw in all the, uh, you know, special special things like um, you can only choose from certain heroes or, um, you know, uh, in the case of some of the Halloween Terror events, um, the Zomnix explode when you kill them, things like that, so... If we scroll on down, we, of course, also have the Play to Earn Weekly Challenge. So this is me just now realizing that I've officially got less than 24 hours to get all my wins in if I want the uh, legendary Dr. Zeigler Mercy skin. So I'm probably going to miss out on that one because I don't think I'll get uh, that much time to play as uh, this very moment of recording. Anyways, Play to Earn. So, of course, uh, week one, week two, week three, you have the opportunity to uh, uh, earn certain rewards rewarded to you by just playing games but more points stacked towards you if you win so each win i believe counts as two games played each loss counts as one game played so for playing nine games you get the dr zeigler player icon you get the lab coat and evaluation sprays for playing 18 and for 27 you get the legendary dr zeigler mercy skin so that's this first week which of course by the time you're listening to this will already be over so Hopefully you got that one if you wanted it. Now, week two runs from May 24th to the 31st. Playing nine games awards you the Mardi Gras, Ash, and Bob player icons. 18 games gets you the Gold Mask Spray, and 27 games gets you the Epic Mardi Gras, Ash skin. And finally, week three, May 31st through June 7th, Playing 9 games gets you the Maestro Sigma player icon, 18 gets you the Maestro emote for Sigma, and 27 gets you the legendary Maestro Sigma skin. This is actually a pretty good skin if you ask me. Uh, I dig this one. Um, I actually think all of these are pretty decent legendary skins. The Mardi Gras Ash one is honestly pretty sick. Um, kind of disappointing that it's an epic skin, whereas week 3... Uh, the, the the Sigma skin is a legendary skin, and the week one is also a legendary skin. Kind of odd that week two is only an epic skin, but I digress. And, uh, of course, that, that Mercy one is probably, in my opinion, the kind of most middle-of-the-road one, but not a bad one by any means. These are all pretty sick skins. If we then check out the anniversary skins that are available, of course, they are now also doing the, uh, the, the sort of uh, color palette swap that they have done previously in the first... Um, Overwatch Anniversary Volume 1 event. So we've got the Dark Wolf flavor of the um, Hanzo Legendary skin. We've got a Hydra flavor of the Sombra skin. So this one's pretty sick. It takes uh, takes Sombra's uh, dragon skin. or Is it dragon? I think it's dragon. And uh, makes it into kind of an underwater swamp monster outfit. We've got Neon Cat version of Sombra's Black Cat outfit. We've got the Night Owl version of Anna's Snow Owl. We've got the noxious version of uh, Roadhog's, I forget what uh, what his skin is, like I think it's called Toxic maybe, uh, skin, and it's kind of got some uh, purple liquid instead of the green liquid, so that's pretty cool. And then the final one I think is actually pretty sick, it's the, a poison dart skin for Lucio, um, it's a sort of dark blue version of one of, his, uh, one of his frog skins, I can't remember if it's Hibbity Hop, something like that, I know I have the golden one, um, but this one's kind of a dark these are all sort of dark themed with the exception of neon cat the uh somber one but hey she likes to you know chart her own path kind of thing so of course you have the opportunity to 
win or purchase all of those skins. You also have the opportunity to win or purchase all of the uh, skins from the Volume 1 remix as well. So the um, the white variant of Genji's, uh, what's that skin called? Oni skin, I believe. Um, this the, the white variant is called Demon. They've got the Evermore Reaper skin, a white variant of the Nevermore skins. Um, you've got the Mage Mercy skin, which is, of course, a uh, white variant of the Witch skin for Mercy. We've got Steelheart for Reinhardt, of course, a white uh, or silver-ish, gray-ish uh, version of the Bloodheart and Blackheart skins for Reinhardt. And then you've got White Cat for Diva, which is the white variant of the, I think, the Black Cat skin for Diva. And you've got the Zealot skin, uh, a white and teal variant of Zenyatta's cultist skin. So those are all available again. So I wanted to kind of highlight that because if you missed out on them in the first uh, anniversary event, um, you can get them again, which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm excited for all of those. I actually think this round of color variants is maybe cooler than the first. Uh, the first time around, I mean, I, I definitely like what they're doing here. I like all of these skins, but I kind of think the mage and the zealot skin are the only ones that really piqued my interest the first time around. Uh, this time around, the dark wolf for Hanzo, the poison dart for Lucio, the hydra for Sombra, um, even the neon cat for, for uh, Sombra. Sorry, I, I, I meant hydra for uh, Symmetra, not, not Sombra. Um, so I kind of think I actually like probably a good Good four out of six. I mean, I like them all again, but I like more of this second batch of skins, but I kind of like the, the darker style that they're going with too. So anyways, uh, get in there, get your skins. You can, of course, also earn or buy um, many, 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 if not all of the other legendary skins that have been available throughout different uh, events and seasonal uh, challenges and things like that. So get in there, get your skins. Um, definitely some cool ones here. I mean, I'm looking at the website right now. I'm looking at Doomfist's Gladiator skin, you know, Submarine for uh, for Wrecking Ball. Oh, there's uh, there's Reinhardt's uh, previous Toxic skin. So I was right. It was Toxic. Haha, there we go. Um, let's see. Did I did I get any of the other ones right? We got some cool ones. The the Bilgarat uh, skin for Junkrat, Cybjorn for Torbjorn. Um, I don't know. These, these skins, honestly, I think most of these are pretty sick, so... Good stuff there. Definitely, at the very least, even if you don't plan on playing or going for your wins, log into the game and you'll get some free legendary, no, free uh, event loot boxes and things like that. And as well, I think there's actually a promotion right now on Twitch where every couple of weeks, every month, something like that, um, you can get some legendary loot boxes uh, through your Twitch rewards as long as you're linked with your Battle.net account. So I think I actually, the reason I said legendary loot boxes there is because the most recent time I logged in, I actually got two legendary loot boxes from uh, Twitch rewards. So that was pretty cool. I was pretty excited about that. I got a couple of cool skins. I'm trying to think what they were. I don't quite remember because I was literally just testing a streaming setup. I wasn't actually going into Overwatch to play, but I digress. I was pretty jazzed about that. Now, that brings us, of course, to our next story, which is somewhat related because it dropped at the same time. So I'm going to jump over to the Overwatch League's Twitter account here. On May 17th, they dropped a tweet saying, From the shadows and the top rope, wrestle your way to victory with the legendary Luchador Reaper skin on sale May 17th to June 25th. So, of course, these dates line up with, uh, with the uh, remix event. Um, but the first unveiling of our our our, our first uh hashtag owl 2022 uh sort of tournament skin so obviously they're 
they're kind of posing this as, yeah, it's Overwatch League branded, but they don't really tie it to the event. Um, however, this obviously came from the Overwatch League skin. So this is definitely for the uh, kickoff clash. So for 200 uh, League tokens, you can, of course, get this skin. I have already bought it. I bought it when I logged in there. I think I had earned three or 400 uh, tokens just from watching the Overwatch League thus far. So I popped in there, got my Luchador skin, and I popped out. But, uh, but by all means, this is a really cool one. I really dig this. So good job, Overwatch League team and Overwatch team as a whole, of course. Now... Let's get into our first uh, sort of uh, actual news story. Not that those weren't actual news, but these are, of course, uh, those were, of course, from Blizzard themselves. So let's head on over to DottieSports.com on May 17th with an article by Jessica Sharnagle. Now, I should mention, pretty sure all of my news stories this week are from Esports. Uh, as I started doing the roundup and everything, I just didn't find too much piquing my interest on other sites. Um, I do use sort of a news aggregator website that gathers all the Overwatch League news from around the web for me. There wasn't too much on there. So then from there, I usually jump over to, uh, to I start with .esports, and then I'll go to um, Dexerto, I'll go to GG Recon, and a few other sites just to check their Overwatch uh, sort of tags and see if there's anything that I think I should include in the news. Now, frequently when I do that, I do see a lot of overlap. But if I do see that, I will often take from another website and use their story instead of one from a site that I might have already had the story from. The simple uh, reason for that being trying to get some exposure to, uh, you know, other creators and and things like that, trying to sort of, sort of spread the love. Um, although, as is probably apparent, I do quite enjoy the uh, writing style of Dutty Sports and the voices that they have over there. Um, now that said, this week I did the usual roundup, got a few stories from Dot Esports, then uh, from my news aggregator, then I actually went to Dot Esports to see, look for more, found a few more. Then checking the other sites, I just didn't find anything that I really jived with kind of the the spin, if you will, the bias or um, their the, the author's take on it. So I stuck with all these Dot Esports uh, articles. So I've got a number of article articles, sorry, here from Dot Esports that I'm going to breeze through. So, anyways. Rewind, May 17th, Jessica Sharnagel, Blizzard to host an event regarding Overwatch 2, next PvP, beta, and more in June. The Overwatch team told players today that there will be more information coming about Overwatch 2 next month, and there may even be a new PvP beta on the horizon that will be announced at an event that will be broadcast on June 16th. Overwatch 2 game director Aaron Keller, on behalf of Team 4, had some words to say to players, including a thank you for participating in the PvP beta for Overwatch 2. He also said that releasing a beta like this can be scary for the developers, but that it's important to get feedback from the community and learn. Side note, I did not mention that uh, the Overwatch 2 beta ended. Huh. That's kind of important in this article. Anyways, there's no indication as to what the event on June 16th will be will be about specifically, but the statement says that the team will be back with more information on that date on how to get into the next phase of the beta for Overwatch 2. It is likely that the event on June 16th will contain more information about what fans will see next for Overwatch 2. And there may even be an announcement for the next PvP beta playtesting period. The announcement from Blizzard says that fans will have, quote, more information on how to gain access to the next phase of Overwatch 2 testing, but not when that testing will be, or even if fans will know when it will be during the June 16th event. Overwatch 2 just wrapped up its first beta testing period, giving, fan, giving players a first look at the new PvP version of the game that features a new hero, new maps, new game modes, and 5 vs. 5 gameplay. The reaction on social media to the first beta was mixed, but the team has been clear that this is just the first beta for Overwatch 2 PvP, and there will likely be more to come at the June 16th event. 
So, obviously, hearing all that, an interesting, uh, an interesting development. Now, as Jessica points out here, um, I uh, or or I think Jessica does a good job in this article of actually, um, not putting too much of her own spin on it. I think she simply states what's there, which is why I like this article. Um, reading between the lines, there was a I wouldn't say uproar, but there was some talk on the internet about how they aren't being clear enough um, about what exactly is going on here and what exactly they intend to do with the sort of PvP side of things with the beta testing and everything like that. Now, the other sort of scuttlebutt going around online is the fact that a lot of people are not so happy that the Overwatch 2 beta is over because now they have to go back to Overwatch 1. So I do find it very interesting that they are doing it this way where... They're not just keeping the beta open. It really strikes me as it should or very well could be kind of an ongoing beta phase. Um, usually when you see these sort of timed betas, I think they're a lot closer to release. Um, I think even with Overwatch 1, I think there was a, a sort of open beta testing period that was maybe a month, maybe two, maybe three months at most out from the launch of Overwatch. I could be wrong about that, but I vaguely remember this. And I feel like that was more meant to be a stress test than anything. If I'm not mistaken, I I mean, I know I played in that one and I know it was on console. So that kind of says how much closer to release that was because this beta didn't even have a console version. So I really think it would have been smart of them to be more, th more forthcoming with what their beta plans were. I kind of feel like they should have, from the get-go, announced, hey, here's what this first beta is going to look like. I mean, initially it was an alpha and then a beta. So, hey, here's what the alpha is going to look like. It's going to be a very select group of people. Not a lot of people are going to be in it. You're not going to be allowed to talk about anything in it if you are in it. You're either going to be very close to Blizzard, uh, friends and family, or professional, a, a professional Overwatch player, um, or very, very closely related to the Overwatch scene in terms of content creation, things like that. And of course, when I say that, I'm referring to people like XQC, who we knew know was in the alpha, um, Tim the Tapman, uh, a lot of a lot of high profile content creators that obviously got earlier access before even the more public beta. And it wasn't a public beta, it was a more public beta, just so I'm being clear. So I think they, they should have in the beginning said, here's our alpha phase. Um, you're not going to hear much out of this because people are NDA'd out the Wahoo. Then here's our open, our, our more open beta phase when we're going to grant a ton of people access. Now a ton of people get access. And then I kind of think they should have just said, now we're, we're not granting more people access, but we're leaving this open. We're going to let people have their time with it. We're going to let people do what they want with it. Um, we're going to let people sort of experience as much as they can so that we can gather as much data as we can. We're also going to be changing things in the background, right? They're going to be doing whatever they need to do development-wise, polishing, um, you know, reworking systems, changing players, fixing bugs, whatever. Then I think they should have just come out and said, that beta period is going to end on this date. And we're going to take, let's say, I don't know, a month off, two months. Uh, we're going to close down the beta for a certain period of time. But we'll be back on this date with either you know, hit us with, uh, at that point, it'll be a public beta or with everyone who previously had access, we'll be able to download a new and improved client. Uh, you'll be able to play with all the changes that we've made over that period of time. We'll announce more closer to the date. 
And then from there, I think they should really just keep it open, honestly. I think that's when you have it open for as long as you need, as long as you want. And really, you make as many changes as you want and, you know, don't even go live with them if you don't want to. You need to have, a obviously, a very good pipeline and, and, and sort of a development cycle in order to do that. And maybe we should know better than that by now. Um, from Blizzard's, you know, track record and everything like that with Overwatch. But I do definitely think that that would be a viable strategy. And the biggest thing that the audience would appreciate is communication. You know, tell us what the plan is, even if the plan goes off the rails, even if things change and you have to delay or you can bump things up or something significant changes, you won't be able to allow as many people in, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you can make those changes. You can tell people that. But I think it would have been big if they had been able to accurately say, hey, here's the plan. Here's when things will be up. Here's when things will be down. And because it's a beta, again, even if you're making large-scale changes, you can say, look, we're, we're taking the beta offline for maintenance for two days. You know, it's a beta. Again, who cares? It's not like you need to have a scheduled patch day or something like that. Just take it down if you want to take it down. But just be clear with people and and I think give them the access that they want, right? I think it's it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, they gave people this and then they just took it away and now you got to go back to playing a completely... Not a completely different game, but a, a, I think in a lot of ways, a lesser product that people are, are not as happy with having played Overwatch 2 and being uh, being a part of the, the sort of 5v5 fervor and everything and enjoying it, which I think was the general sent sentiment going around. So anyways, I digress. Um, we're going to find out more in June, June 16th. We'll find out more. I hope ahead of that, they announce that tune in June 16th to find out, and I hope they say blank to find out when the next beta phase kicks off, to find out how to get access into the next beta, to find out about three new heroes coming to the Overwatch 2 beta. Like, I just hope that they're clear, and I hope they've kind of learned their lessons. Do I think they did? Mm, no, not really. I don't have much faith. But I digress. Let's move on. So, again, sticking with .esports.com with another article from Jessica Sharnagle, this time posted on May 19th. Ex-Overwatch Pro Gesture joins NYXL coaching staff. The New York Excelsior have signed Jester as a coach for the 2022 Overwatch League season. Jester, who retired from playing late last year, is possibly no, best known for his time with the Seoul Dynasty, where he played the 2020 and 2021 seasons as the main tank. Before that, he played for the London Spitfire. Overwatch League isn't the only esport Jester has played in, though. He started his esports legacy in League of Legends in the LSPL, and then moved on to Overwatch, where he became one of the best tanks in the league until he retired. The decision to retire as a player from the Overwatch League was likely influenced by the decision to play the 2022 season on a build of Overwatch 2, which eliminated the main tank position and reduced the composition to just one tank. Now Jester joins assistant coach Undyne and head coach Kuki on the coaching staff. They've then got the tweet embedded from the New York Excelsior account, which announces this. And then the article continues, This year, NYXL, who returned to the West region after spending a year overseas and playing in the East region, are sitting low in the rankings after the first two weekends of the Overwatch League. They're 3-1 heading into the third week of the season, where they will play the Florida Mayhem. Now, I believe that would be three losses, one win, which is, is backwards. I could be wrong about that. At the time of writing, NYXL are only ranked above the Paris Eternal and the Vancouver Titans, neither of which have won a game yet this season. So anyways, wanted to highlight that mostly just to say welcome back, Jester, um, as Jessica mentions there, uh, a staple of the Overwatch League until his retirement. So good to see him making a return to the league in uh, in any way, shape, or form. I always uh, am a big fan of when these players uh, sort of move on 
to become part of the coaching staff and, and things like that. Shows some kind of development in the scene and growth uh, that is available, of course. Now, I would like to take a pause for a moment here and just praise the document recovery gods because my computer actually blue screened in the middle of uh, recording that article. I was 23 and some change minutes into the episode and uh, blue screen popped up. Uh, looked like uh, Audacity was still recording. However, of course, it was not actually. And uh, then the computer restarted. So... Anyways, very happy that when I booted Audacity up, it came back and said, hey, guess what? We recovered this. You should save. And so, of course, I booted it up and I did save because uh, that would have been tragic if I had to go back and try to capture all the magic that has been this episode thus far again. So I digress. Let's move on to another article again, .esports.com, this time posted on May 23rd by the illustrious Liz Richardson. This article reads, Boston Uprising part ways with Tank Marvel. The Boston Uprising entered the 2022 Overwatch League season with a stacked roster boasting multiple DPS options and three tanks. But today, one of them is headed home to focus on his health. Boston has parted ways with Tank Marvel, or Marv-1 as Avast calls him, citing personal issues the team has tried to solve since he was picked up in late 2021. Quote, since last year, Mincio was, uh, sorry, has been reflecting and dealing with personal issues, said Chris Huck uh, Loringer, president of the Boston Uprising, in a Twitter post. We've worked on trying to alleviate some of these issues, but came to the unfortunate mutual conclusion that returning home to South Korea, where he can focus on his personal growth, would be the healthiest option for his well-being. Marvel has a long history in the Overwatch League, having played for the Seoul Dynasty for three years before heading over to the West Region when the Boston Uprising acquired him. This season, he started playing time with the team's two other tanks, Leighton Punk Gilchrist and Kim Itzel Chang-hee. With a current record of 2-3 and three in the Kickoff Clash qualifiers that includes a handful of questionable losses, Boston has faced criticisms from analysts and fans over constant roster rotations. Issues with the roster and staff have also come to light over the past week. In an interview with Danny Lim after a surprising win against the Washington Justice on May 22nd, Boston Uprising's primary tank punk said the team has, quote, had some stuff going on behind the scenes, end quote. Marvel's decision to head home to South Korea and focus on his personal growth, according to Huck, is likely one of the behind-the-scenes decisions affecting the team. Boston's next match and the team's final match during the kickoff clash qualifiers is against the Dallas Fuel, on May 29th at 2 p.m. CT. So there you go. Um, definitely a bit of a shocking one. I don't think most people, I, well, I mean, so this one was rumored for a little bit there, um, but I don't think outside of the rumors, anyone would have really seen this coming. Um, it was actually, now that I think about it, like we should have seen this coming. Um, so it was very late in the game before the end, uh, before the start of the season man, I'm looking back, I should have seen this coming. Before the start of the season, um, Itzal, a, another tank player, was signed to the roster of the Boston Uprising where they already had Punk and Marvel. Now, I spoke on Ready, Set, Pwn, and I believe One Man Watchpoint, and said that I suspected bringing in Itzal meant they were having challenges with another tank player, either Punk or Marvel. Uh, maybe one of them not being able to to pick up a player, uh, a, uh, a hero as well as they wanted to, or something like that. I hadn't actually thought that that meant they might cut one of these players. So that's the surprising part to me, is that they've actually now dropped Marvel. Um, in my mind, they were bringing in a third tank because maybe they couldn't cover the hero pool appropriately, 
or a, or a map pool or something like that. But obviously there was a little more going on uh, than we were necessarily privy to. So now that Marvel is gone, that does leave the Boston Uprising with two tanks in Punk and Itzal. But I am, of course, again, reminded that Itzal was in my mind, obviously brought in uh, to accommodate this in some way, shape, or form. So um, hopefully all goes well for Marvel. Hopefully they are, in fact, parting on good terms, and Marvel does uh, need to go home for some reason. Um, I mean, not go home for some reason, but hopefully it's nothing, you know, against uh, against the organization, against the players, against, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, attitudes or anything like that. But who knows what drama is going on now. Speaking of drama, let's stick with DottieSports.com, another article from May 23rd, and again, an article by Liz Richardson, which reads, Boston Uprising parts ways with Stryker. After several weeks of mediocre results in the Overwatch League's kickoff clash tournament, the Boston Uprising and its players are making big changes. Hours after announcing departure of Tank Marvel from the team, one of the Uprising's star DPS players is also taking his leave. The team announced today that it would be parting ways with Stryker, a major player for Boston and one of its biggest acquisitions during the offseason. Stryker's OWL career began on the Uprising in 2018 before he joined the San Francisco Shock. As a tracer specialist and notably clutch player, he was a large part of the Shock's championship wins in 2019 and 2020. After a surprising retirement in the middle of the 2021 season, he returned to the Boston Uprising for 2022. Quote, We're grateful for what Stryker has brought to the Boston Uprising in his two separate stints with our organization, said Chris Huck-Lorager, president of the Boston Uprising, in a Twitter post. We concluded that we that where we are as a team is not the right fit for Stryker at this point. This season, Stryker has been a familiar face in the starting roster for the Uprising, which cur currently has a 2-3 record in the kickoff clash qualifiers. Boston fans noticed something amiss on May 21st, when DPS Victoria joined Stryker's usual duo Valentine in a game against the Toronto Defiant. According to a tweet by Boston's assistant general manager, Mineral, Victoria stepped into the role one day before matches, indicating the situation with Stryker is a relatively recent development. Huck also made a vague tweet about the uprising surprise win against the Washington Justice on May 22nd, in which he said, quote, no one player is greater than the team. The Boston Uprising's next Overwatch League match in the kickoff clash qualifiers is against the Dallas Fuel, which will be played at 2 p.m. on May 29th. So, of course, wanted to bring this one up right after the Marvel story, because I think this one does indicate a little bit more. Um, the way they have uh, Liz notes the tweets from Huck there, um, and just the overall uh, attitude that it seems this article gives off, I think there may have been some uh, differences of opinion on certain things. Um, definitely seems like there's a good chance that Stryker was, I, I don't want to insinuate too much, but maybe a bit of a problem player. I know there were rumors that in the past he had not got along with Huck, um, and it was a bit, that was a big part of why it was such a shock that he was rejoining the Boston roster, is because he had uh, sort of butted heads with the general manager um, so, so dramatically. Um, however, obviously, we've seen the results that Stryker can help bring, uh, as was notable from his stint on the uh, San Francisco Shock. So it was a shock to see him return, uh, shock, to the Boston Uprising, um, given his history with Huck, but people talked like maybe he's put it all behind him, maybe things are good now. This potentially indicates otherwise. Potentially indicates that, you know, maybe Marvel kind of was was 
I, I don't know, striker's right-hand man, or maybe they got along with each other a little bit more than the rest of the team. Um, the real question, though, uh, I mean, obviously we should say we wish uh, striker all the best, uh, along with Marvel, which I've already talked about. Um, and, you know, we hope they both have continued success and find a home elsewhere if that's in the cards for them or, or something like that. Um, but overall, this does beg the question, where does this leave the Boston Uprising? So if we look at the standings right now, Boston is currently in 10th. Now they have a record of 2-3. and three. The teams ahead of them with records of 2-2 two and two are the London Spitfire in 9th and the Los Angeles Gladiators in 8th. Yes, that's right. The Los Angeles Gladiators, a team that a lot of people put probably in the top three in North America, are sitting in eighth right now. Now, they have, I think, been reverse swept two different times on two different occasions. Um, Once by the Dallas Fuel, and I believe by the San Francisco Shock. I could be wrong about that. Um, But anyways, do I think Boston can beat both of those teams? Not necessarily. I think they can beat the London Spitfire, which would put them in ninth. Now, the fact is, one of their wins is against the Washington Justice, who's currently sitting with at 3-2 and two in 6th place. One of their losses is against the Toronto Defiance, sitting in 7th place. So, Boston is really kind of a big question mark. Now, one thing that I learned from this past weekend, when Boston played the not the Toronto Defiant because they lost to the Toronto Defiant when they played the Washington Justice who again had previously beaten the Toronto Defiant they pulled out a surprise win there if Boston can in fact perform at that level and consistently beat a team like the Washington Justice that puts them more like in the top five or six range if they lose to a team like the Toronto Defiant that probably puts them in maybe a seventh or less position now it is very interesting because um the game against washington was was a banger and and far better than i think many people would have predicted um and pound for pound i do think that the washington justice you know on paper should have a better team but that win over washington kind of made me a bit of a boston believer um in my own power rankings i ranked boston significantly lower than i think a lot of people um I just, I wasn't a believer in the striker meta. I didn't necessarily think that he would have or or provide as much to the team as I think a lot of people were, were placing on his shoulders. Now, guess what? That may have been accurate, um, but in the game against the Washington Justice, Boston looked just fine without striker. I actually was really impressed with... Um, uh, sorry, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Uh, where's my tab? Here we go with Victoria and Valentine. I, I knew it was Victoria. I couldn't think of Valentine for some reason, but, um, I was very impressed with the duo and I really thought that they kind of pulled it, pulled it out, pulled out the win for them, uh, in large part. So anyways, um, this, I'm hopeful for Boston. Yes. Uh, it sucks that they're losing at at the least one very strong player, um, you know, at, at the most two very, very good players. Um, but ultimately, I think Boston might just have something going for them. Um, and if they can kind of continue on this hot streak, uh, then then they things could be looking up. They do obviously have a tough opponent in the Dallas Fuel coming up. Um, if they lose against the Dallas Fuel, that does leave them sort of on the outside looking in when it comes to the uh, the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken... Uh, at the end of the regular season, top six teams from the West and top three teams from the East qualify. Play in tournament for each uh, will qualify an additional three, two from the West. So top six in the West and an additional two. If Boston loses their next match, that does put them on the outside of that. But I still think that that is some really good 
blocks for them to build off of. They got obviously that one win against Vancouver at the very start of the season, which was a hard fought win. Um, and then they got that win against the Washington Justice, which is a, um, a, a much harder fought win, seemingly from how Vancouver is doing. Um, but I think things could really be looking up for Boston. I'm, I'm, I've kind of got my, my fingers crossed for them. You know, a, a bit of a rookie, a bit of an underdog, uh, but I'm rooting for them uh, after making some of these changes. Okay, and with that, that actually brings us to the end of our news segment. Um, I've actually, I know I mentioned my previous blue screen in the middle of recording there. I've actually had another blue screen while recording. Um, so in between the Marvel story and the Striker story, I had another blue screen computer crashed. Uh, once again, I have to praise and thank the uh, document recovery gods because Audacity did manage to capture most of what I had recorded um, and save it and everything. So I'm obsessively pausing my recording and saving because I do not want to lose it. I do not want to have to record again. Um, so anyways, hopefully cross your fingers for the rest of this episode that there are no more crashes and that this is the last time I have to talk about that. But enough of that, enough of the news. Let's hop on over to our OWL recap and see what teams won and what teams lost this past weekend. Back for more. All right. Let's jump on over to the recap here. So if we take a peek at this past weekend's schedule of game, things, of course, started with an upset. We first started the weekend with the Philadelphia Fusion upsetting the former champs, the Shanghai Dragons, in a 3-0 to zero sweep. So definitely an interesting one there. Now, I should actually also mention that today being Monday is actually a holiday here in Canada. Um, it was Victoria Day, the Victoria Day long weekend, or May long as many people call it. Um, so I actually didn't get to rewatch or watch a lot of the matches that I actually missed um, over the weekend. Usually Monday um, while I'm working, I kind of have the matches on in the background and I catch a lot of the matches so that I can talk at least somewhat intelligently about what went on. I have not had a chance to do that, so I did not see the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Shanghai Dragons. Um, I did catch a little bit of an encore match with Philly, but I don't recall if it was this one or not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was this one, because this would have been a good one to have as the encore. Um, but Philly seemingly coming out strong. Um, if I Where are my own power rankings here? If I look at my own power rankings, I had Philly down in 14th. Now, that was, of course, before the Chengdu... Uh, uh, changes. Um, sorry, I had them in 13th. Um, but I was very hesitant to put Philly as low as I did. I felt like I didn't know a lot about them. Um, but what I had been hearing did make me wonder if I should be pl placing them significantly higher. Um, this past weekend kind of confirmed that, you know what, they might just be the number two or number three team uh, in the East. I definitely think Shanghai is still up there, despite their, uh, you know, starting the season off with a loss. Um, but I definitely do think that, you know, since the changes with Chengdu and everything happened, since Seoul might not be as, uh, as much of a powerhouse as we had thought they might be, I definitely could see Shanghai, Philly, and Seoul kind of duking it out for those top three positions. So anyways, uh, that's what I know from my limited knowledge and viewing of Philly playing this past weekend. So uh, things kicked off on Friday, May 20th with the Philadelphia Fusion 3-0-ing the Shanghai Dragons. Then the Los Angeles Valiant lost to the Guangzhou Charge 3-1. Then the Seoul Dynasty lost to the Hangzhou Spark 3-1 as well. Um, so in, I think, many people's minds, a bit of an upset there. Now, as we'll see from the Hangzhou Spark, I think they might be one of the surprises this, this season as well. Um, coming up on top 
of at least one win this past weekend, um, and uh, coming close on another. But we'll we'll talk about that in a minute here. I, I may also be overrating them a little bit. So that was your Eastern Region matches for Friday, May 20th. Moving on from there, our Friday games over in the West started with the Washington Justice taking on the Paris Eternal and Washington coming out on top 3-1. to one. After that, we saw the New York Excelsior take on the Florida Mayhem, and, as I had hoped, the Florida Mayhem beat the New York Excelsior 3-0. And then, of course, Friday ended with the Dallas Fuel defeating the Toronto Defiant in a 3-0 sweep. That game was a bit depressing on the Toronto side. I think that game may have just solidified in my mind where Toronto fits on the rankings um, and, and where we will find them towards the end of the season. Uh, unfortunately, it may look very similar to where they are in the standings at this very moment, but I digress. Moving on from there, Saturday then kicked off in the East with the Chengdu Hunters sweeping the Guangzhou Charge 3-0. Then the Shanghai Dragons got their first win of the season against the Hangzhou Spark 3-2. Now, this is kind of what I was hinting at with Hangzhou. So first, they beat the Seoul Dynasty 3-1 in what I would say is probably an upset. I would say most people probably picked Seoul to win that match. Then they get... Close with the Shanghai Dragons. Shanghai pulls it pulls out the win with a 3-2 victory. Now, Shanghai, obviously, we know struggled against Philadelphia. So I think this bodes potentially well for Hangzhou, but not so good for Shanghai. Um, Shanghai coming off of a loss against Philly. Yeah, Philly's probably a powerful team. But then barely squeaking out a win over the Hangzhou Spark says to me, maybe Shanghai is not nearly ranked as high as we think they should or as we thought they might be. Moving on from there, in our final Western, no, Eastern, sorry, match of Saturday, the Seoul Dynasty won over the Los Angeles Valiant 3-2. Now, again, you can infer a little bit about Seoul from this. Seoul lost to the Hangzhou Spark and squeaked out a win 3-2 over the Valiant. So it seems a little bit like Seoul might not be the quite the team that we thought they were. But as we'll see from another one of their games, that could also be hogwash again. So let's move on to the Saturday games in the West. First of all, we had the Houston Outlaws 3-0-ing the London Spitfire. Not a huge surprise there if you ask me. Then the Los Angeles Gladiators lost to the San Francisco Shock in a 3-2, and if I'm not mistaken, reverse sweep. Thank goodness for this. Saved my preds there with the reverse sweep. Then the final game of Saturday was the Toronto Defiant taking on the Boston Uprising. Toronto takes the win 3-1. to one. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that is the day that I got my Preds, at least in the Western region, perfect. I nailed the 3-0, the 3-2, and the 3-1. So everyone clap for me or something. Moving on from there, moving into our Sunday games, we saw the Philadelphia Fusion 3-0, the Guangzhou Charge. Not a huge surprise there, I don't think, especially based on Guangzhou's past performance this weekend. Um, getting a win over the Valiant, but losing to the Chengdu Hunters. Then the Seoul Dynasty 3-0 the Chengdu Hunters. So again, I don't know if that's surprising. Um, I think Seoul and Chengdu, uh, I previously ranked both of the team both those teams high but i was hopeful that seoul would would be the the top dog and maybe be more of a competitor to shanghai than chengdu um chengdu obviously then made changes and now we are where we are um but interesting nonetheless chengdu and seoul kind of seeming like a little bit of question marks right now um seoul you know again losing to the hangzhou spark then um then then squeaking out a win against the valiant but then 3-0ing the chengdu hunters 
maybe they're starting to figure their stuff out by that Sunday. Maybe that's what we're seeing is they're starting to really kind of, you know, started off with a loss, but then, you know, got back on the horse, squeaked out a win against the Valiant, and then maybe getting things under control. But interesting, interesting nonetheless. Moving on from there, the Hangzhou Spark get a win, 3-2 to two over the Los Angeles Valiant. So Valiant come out of this weekend without a single win. Um, eh, probably not incredibly surprising to most. Um, if I take a look at our power rankings, pretty much everyone, yep, everyone on the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast ranked the LA Valiant in second last, only above the London Spitfire, which seems like that's probably going to be wrong now. Um, but I digress. Um, interesting stuff going on there. The Eastern region definitely shaking out to be pretty interesting. If we take a look at the standings overall, this is where everything sits. We've got Philly in first, Hangzhou in second, Seoul in third, Chengdu in fourth, Shanghai in fifth, Guangzhou in sixth, and the Valiant in seventh. So Valiant, not surprising to see them at the bottom. Guangzhou charge, not surprising to see them at the bottom. Uh, everyone on the Ready, Set, Poem podcast uh, ranked Guangzhou in 18th and the Valiant in 19th. So not too surprising to see that, I don't think. What is surprising? Shanghai Dragons in fifth place. Chengdu Hunters in fourth place. Seoul Dynasty in third. Maybe that's not too surprising. Hangzhou Spark in second and Philly in first. There's definitely a bit of interesting stuff going on here. Philly coming out the big winner of the weekend, really, uh, with a very strong showing. Now, some of these teams played three games. Some of them only played two. Um, in fact, I think only two teams played. No, three teams played two games. The rest played three games. So Shanghai only played two games. Uh, as did the Chengdu Hunters, and as did the Philadelphia Fusion. So it'll be interesting to see next weekend, once the number of games played evens out between all of the teams, where everyone sits. I think there's going to be some movement in that third, fourth, fifth position, um, with Seoul, Chengdu, and Shanghai. Uh, probably even second. I think second through fifth. No, second through, yeah, fifth. Um, I think is all going to be really competitive and, and really kind of up and down and changing a lot. Um, whereas I think Philly is probably going to remain pretty close to the top there. They might drop between second and first as one of these other teams kind of starts to get their, their shit together. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Moving on, our final matches on Sunday. Um, I unfortunately, the actually, the only match that I actually caught on Sunday was the Washington Justice against the Boston Uprising, but I'll talk about that in a second. So our first game in the West on Sunday was the Vancouver Titans getting 3-0'd by the Atlanta Reign. Uh, no real shock there, I don't think. Then we moved on to the Dallas Fuel, 3-0'ing uh, the Paris Eternal. No real shock there either, I don't think. Although, um, I did actually catch a little bit of this match. I would like to say Paris looking a little bit better than this past than their past loss uh, to Toronto. Um, I definitely think uh, Paris... Oh, actually, they had lost to Washington as well. Um, but I digress. That That's neither here nor there. Um, Paris looked pretty messy previously, and I think this weekend showed that they are getting a little better. They are starting to gel with uh, Wub, of course, being a recent addition and joining the team uh, after Naga was was cut. So good good stuff there. Seeing, um, even if it's minor, seeing improvement from the Paris Eternal. So that's good. Finally, our last game of the weekend was the Boston Uprising taking on the Washington Justice. Now this actually, let me just double check something. This lists it as a three to one win for the Boston Uprising. For some reason, I feel like that's wrong, but I'm just going to like double check it. I thought it was a three two. Am I, I could just be crazy. All right, I guess I'm crazy. Um, anyways, Boston Uprising taking that match 
to one. So really exciting stuff here for Boston um, because Washington looking like a powerhouse going into this match and Boston coming out on top. So, you know, round of applause for them. Great job. Great job, Boston. Obviously, I already shared some of my thoughts on Boston. So, so that's what this past weekend looked like in games. Um, after, after seeing all of that, we've got some interesting stuff shaking out here. Um, of course, oh, actually here, let me just, oh shoot, I can't do that. Um, if we look at the standings in the West, we've got the San Francisco Shock in first place with no losses this season. Five wins, no losses. Second goes to Dallas with four wins and one loss. Third is the Atlanta Reign with three wins and one loss. After that, all teams have at least two losses. So interesting stuff to see there. The Atlanta Reign did have that one abysmal game, which which was their loss. They've also played one less game than the top two teams in the San Francisco Shock and the Dallas Fuel. So there's that to consider. Um, but it definitely looks a little bit like there is a pretty distinct tier gap between the one and two position and the third position. Um, right now, San Francisco looks dominant and very strong. Um, Dallas looks strong. I wouldn't say dominant just yet. They're getting there. I think they, they've taken a little bit more time to kind of figure their stuff out. Um, what will be really interesting is anytime they face off against one of these top teams, if they are able to adapt and overcome, which we did see them do against the Los Angeles Gladiators. So anyways, that's your top three. Number four is the Florida Mayhem with three and two. Five is the Houston Outlaws with three and two. Six is the Washington Justice three and two. Seventh is the Toronto Defiant three and two. All of those teams have three wins and two losses with five matches played. The rankings only come into play there because of the map differential that sets them apart. But I look at these four teams and I think there is a pretty... I want to say there's a distinct hierarchy, but I really don't think there is. I think there's a few of these teams that I think are clearly better than others. There's a few that I think are weaker, but ultimately it's a very sort of cyclical kind of thing. I think Toronto could beat Florida. I think Toronto could beat Houston, but Toronto really struggled against Washington. Washington looked really dominant when they played Toronto. So I think Washington could beat Toronto, but then I think Houston could beat Florida, but I also think Florida could beat Houston. I think Washington, we know could beat Toronto. I think Washington could beat any of these teams. So it's a really interesting mix we've got here from that four to seven position. Um, unfortunately, as I mentioned, I, I do kind of think that Toronto might be in an appropriate position for them. I think Houston and Florida both have a, a little bit to fall. Uh, again, I'm going into this season thinking Florida has a ton of punch-up potential. I think they're maybe one of the teams that on paper looks like they should be in more of a 7-10 to 10 range. Right now they're sitting in fourth, obviously. But I think that they could really make some big strides and, and surprise a lot of people. Houston, I think, could probably sink a position or two. Washington, Washington could go up or down, honestly. Toronto... I kind of think Toronto might be where they end up at the end of the season, which sucks to say as a Toronto fan. I want them in the top four at least, but I think, uh, you know, they might move up to six, but I think they're going to be struggling to get into that uh, that top five kind of thing. Moving on from there, the Los Angeles Gladiators are in eighth with two and two. So they have less games played than, than the uh, teams above them, um, with the exception of the Atlanta Reign. But Los Angeles Gladiators, looking an awful lot like the Los Angeles Gladiators that we know. Um, you know, the Los Angeles Gladiators that look really strong, but then something falls apart and they just lose it. 
Uh, two reverse sweeps is not a good thing to have happening at this stage. Um, they're quickly getting a reputation of that. So anyways, if you're a Los Angeles Gladiators fan out there, I hope uh, I hope that you've got your fingers crossed and I hope your team figures their stuff out. After that, I think these teams are um, pretty appropriately ranked. However, there's one team out of these that I think has some punch-up potential. So in ninth position with two and two, we've got the London Spitfire. Tenth is Boston Uprising with two and three. Eleventh is the New York Excelsior, one and four. And then in twelfth and thirteenth are the Vancouver Titans and the Paris Eternal, respectively, both with five and five. The only reason Vancouver is in twelfth rather than thirteenth is because they have a negative twelve map differential, whereas Paris has a negative thirteen. That's right, they are separated by a mere one map differential. So as I mentioned, that 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 spot, I think are pretty appropriately ranked right now. Um, London has gotten a couple surprising wins, which has been good for them, um, and I think is is fun to see. But I think teams have quickly also seen what they do, figured out their pattern, um, figured out their play style, and I don't think they'll be able to compete with a lot of these top teams. Um, and then as you get into the more middle of the pack teams, I think the middle of the pack teams will be able to win enough against London that keeps them kind of down in that, you know, nine, nine or lesser range. Um, I think that, you know, if a meta shifts to a Reinhardt meta, London might be very strong because Hottie plays a good Reinhardt, but I don't know much beyond that. I think they, they're pretty stuck where they are. Um, or slightly lower. Now, the team that I'm talking about having some punch-up potential is, of course, the Boston Uprising, who I already talked about. I think they could move into that nine spot, I want to say pretty easily, pretty easily, I'll say. Um, getting out of that bottom five is tough. I think there's probably a pretty clear tier break there. Um, if we say one, two, tier break, then we go three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then there's probably a tier break there, and you've got the bottom five. And to get Boston or any team out of that bottom five, they're going to have to pull out a win against some big teams. Now, the fact is Boston beat Washington, which is in that middle tier. So I think Boston could do it. If 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 they can keep things going, if they can get on a hot streak, um, and if they can uh, sort of really flex their muscles now that maybe, you know, again, not to insinuate too much, but maybe some of the team drama is gone, they could be looking at a, a a better season than I think we I may have I may have ranked them and many people may have ranked them. So there you have it. That's kind of my thoughts on the West and the East after this past week's games. Now let's move on and let's quickly run through some pickums for this upcoming weekend's games. So first things first, we're looking at week four right now. Week four in the Eastern region starts on Thursday, May 26th, because uh, the Eastern region, of course, has some catch up to play. So starting things off, we've got the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Seoul Dynasty. I'm giving it to Philly 3-0. I'm, I'm going to be harsh against Seoul and give it to them 3-0. Then we've got the Hangzhou Spark taking on the... Sorry, uh, Hangzhou Spark taking on the Chengdu Hunters. Now give me a second here. We're going to go Overwatch League standings. Yes, I did just have these open, and I did just close it, but I want to take a look at this against my pickums. So if we look at the Hangzhou Spark and the Chengdu Hunters, Hangzhou sitting with 2-1, and one, Chengdu sitting 1-1. One and one. Um, Hangzhou obviously pulled out some decent wins this past, uh, um, this past weekend. I think I've got to give it to... I'm going to give it to Hangzhou, but I'm, I think it's going to be a pretty close match. Um, 
I'm going to give it a 3-2. I'm, I'm hopeful that the Hunters will be, um, at the very least, competitive um, against Hangzhou, against the Spark. I'm, I'm hopeful. I got my fingers crossed here. Okay, okay. Okay, moving on from there. Now, let me actually just see. Have They they haven't played each other yet, have they? No, they have not. Okay, then we have the Shanghai Dragons taking, the, taking on the Guangzhou Charge. I'm giving this one to the Shanghai Dragons 3-0. I'm crossing my fingers that they've figured their stuff out and they're going to be able to pull out this, this win. The fact is, if Shanghai struggles against Guangzhou Charge, then everyone's power rankings are boomed. Shanghai is not the team we thought they would be. And uh, tragedy strikes the Shanghai Dragons, but... We'll hold off that judgment until next week. Next week's episode. So, sticking with the Eastern Region, Friday, May twenty seventh, we have the we then have the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Chengdu Hunters. I'm gonna give it to Philly three and Chengdu. Did they play Chengdu this past weekend? Philly played Shanghai. Philly played Guangzhou. Okay, I'm giving it to them three one. Man, I feel bad for Chengdu right now. Seoul Dynasty take on the Guangzhou Charge. I'm going to give it a 3-1 as well. And then the Shanghai Dragons take on the Los Angeles Valiant. I'm going to give it another 3-0. This is a, if this pans out, this is a big weekend for the Shanghai Dragons. 3-0-ing the Charge, 3-0-ing the Valiant. Now, granted, those are the two bottom teams in the Eastern Region, and I think they will remain the two bottom teams in the Eastern Region. But again, if Shanghai struggles against either of these teams, boy, is it not looking good for Shanghai. Saturday, May 28th, the Guangzhou Charge take on the Hangzhou Spark. I'm going to say Hangzhou takes it 3-1. Then the Shanghai Dragons take on former rivals, the Chengdu Hunters. I'm going to give it to Shanghai, but I'm going to say Chengdu manages two maps, and it's a 3-2. Then the Philadelphia Fusion take on the Los Angeles Valiant. I'm going to say it's a 3-0. Moving on to Sunday, May 29th, the Shanghai Dragons take on the Seoul Dynasty, and I'm going to say that Seoul... Oof, I feel bad doing this. I'm giving it to Seoul 3-2. I don't know if that's realistic, but I'm doing it. Moving on from there, Chengdu Hunters take on Los Angeles Valiant. I think Valiant could get a couple maps in this one. I'm going to give it to Chengdu 3-2. Then the Philadelphia Fusion take on the Hangzhou Spark. So right now, the 1-2 and two teams with uh, Philly in first with 2-0 and oh, and Hangzhou in second with 2-1. and one. I'm giving this one to the Philadelphia Fusion, but I'm going to say it's a good match, and we're going to give it a 3-2 to close things out in the Eastern Region. Saving my predictions. Predictions saved. Can I change that? I'm just going to change that, and then I'm going to... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, we're good. Moving on from there, we're going to jump on down to week four of the Western Region, Friday, May 27th, at... Creek, creek, creek. At 1 p.m. Mountain Time, we have the London Spitfire taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators. I'm giving it to the Glads, 3-1. The Toronto Defiant then take on the New York Excelsior, and I'm giving it to Toronto, 3-1. And the San Francisco Shock are going to 3-0, the Vancouver Titans. Then Saturday, May 28th, kicking off at 1 p.m., the Atlanta Reign are 3-0-ing the London Spitfire. The Houston Outlaws are 3-0-ing the Paris Eternal. Ooh, and then the Washington Justice take on the Florida Mayhem. This could be a match to watch. I like this one. Okay, okay. Florida currently sitting in fourth with three and two. Washington sitting in sixth with three and two. And Florida and Washington, if I'm not mistaken, have played earlier in this season. I want to say they played week two and Washington beat Florida. Let's take a look. No, no, no. Week two, Houston beat Florida. Week one, Atlanta beat Florida. Oh, maybe they haven't played yet. 
Okay, I I could be wrong. I could be wrong then. Uh, man, that's gonna. I feel like that's gonna be a good game. I can feel it in my bones. If Washington shows up as they have in the past, um, and Florida shows up as well, then this could be a really good match. If Washington, Washington at this point, I think is more of the question mark. If they play how they have sometimes and not quite up to par, then Florida could take this in a in a pretty significant fashion in a three to one. If Washington shows up and Decay is, you know, does the Decay deadlift, then Washington could take it. But regardless, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be close. I'm going to give it a 3-2 in favor of the Florida Mayhem. Finally, on Sunday, we only have two games in the Western region, and then all games are played for the uh, kickoff clash tournament outside of the play-in matches. Kicking off at 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Sunday, May 29th. We have the Dallas Fuel taking on the Boston Uprising. I'm going to give it to Dallas, but I'm going to say 3-1. Now, that's a tough opponent for the Boston Uprising to face off against, but I'm going to give it to Dallas 3-1. I'm going to say Boston does get a map. Then we have the Gladiators taking on the Atlanta Reign. Another very interesting one. This could be a good match to close out the weekend, of course. With Atlanta sitting in third 3-1 and the Gladiators sitting in eighth 2-2, The funny thing is, I want to give it to the Gladiators. I think the Gladiators have a more dynamic style of play. Um, I think they can get the better out of Atlanta. I'm going to give it to the Glads 3-2. And there you have it. Saving my predictions. Locking that shit in. I'm calling it a day there, and that's how I'm going to end it. That's my Pick'em's predictions for week three of the Overwatch League. And with all of that said, it's time to move on over to the outro. If at first you don't succeed, blow it up again. All right, here we are at the end of another episode. Oh, wait, I forgot to save my episode. Hold on, pause. Okay, we're good. I saved. I just, I'm at the end. I want to make sure I get a save in because then if I need to re-record the outro, not the end of the world. So once again, thank you so much for listening to episode 73 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. I'm of course your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir D-R-J-M. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitch at Sir D-R-J-M. Please, if you'd like to interact with me on Twitch, shoot me a DM, uh, tweet at me, whatever you've got. I'd love to hear from you, topics, questions, concerns, things you want me to talk about on the show, um, questions you have, anything that I can bring to the show, video game related or Overwatch related, Overwatch League related, Overwatch 2 related, whatever you've got, bring it to me on Twitter and I'll bring it to the show. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. And of course, if you like the sultry sound of my voice, check me out on Ready, Set, Pwn, uh, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant, posting everywhere on Wednesdays as well. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Ah, cheers, mate!